Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. I'm Nick Ninton, and I know nothing about addiction. Uh, these guys know lots. Uh, so I will first go with my friend Joe Polish, who sparked the interest in me even hosting this. Uh, Joe Polish is the founder of Genius Network, one of the highest level groups in the world for entrepreneurs. He curates the annual Genius Network event, Genius Network and Genius X, all three groups being home to some of the most successful entrepreneurs alive and is considered one of the most influential connectors in the world. I'll skip ahead in a few things. Joe's been featured on everything you can imagine. And uh, Joe's mission, which is why we're here with Entrepreneurs and Genius Network, is to build a better entrepreneur. And his mission with Genius Recovery is to change the global conversation of how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment and to find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy and to share those with the world. So that is Joe. Joe, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Good, man. Awesome to have you. Uh, Dr. Ned Hallowell, uh, founder of the Hallowell Centers, board certified child and adult psychiatrist, ADHD expert, international speaker, New York Times bestselling author of the book Driven to Distraction. He's also been on everything from Dr. Oz to Dr. Phil, The View, all that fun stuff. And uh, he is an absolute expert on ADHD uh, in children, adults. Many of my adult friends visit him regularly uh, to, to work on that. Uh, I probably should. And then finally, I got my brother here, uh, Dr. Andrew Nanton. Uh, I know the most about him, but I'm just going to tell you the bio he told me to share. Uh, and he's a medical doctor who trained at Tulane, Duke, and UC Davis. He's board certified in general psychiatry, child psychiatry, forensic psychiatry, and addiction medicine. He spent the last year in New Zealand setting up methamphetamine treatment clinics in the rural far north of New Zealand. So we have quite the panel here. Uh, Joe, I'm going to tee you up here first, and I'm probably going to play director mostly on this little software I've got. But so you and I were speaking the other day, and you you made a comment that stuck in my head. You said, Nick, addicts are having a really hard time right now. In a lot of cases, they can't go to 12-step groups. Uh, they can't access the things they need. And they are – it's sort of a pressure cooker right now for everyone with the emotions running high – with 87 children in your home, you're trying to teach how to do homeschool, uh, all of this fun stuff. Your whole life is on Zoom now. Tell me a bit about your concern for addiction right now and uh, and sort of the work that you think needs to be done. We'll start there. Yeah, that's great. And by the way, this uh, I'm not a doctor, so we got the doctors here that are way smarter doctor stuff than me. And also, I have known Ned for, man, probably 20 years. Yes. And so, yeah, he, I mean, he is, the, which, which is great. And so... Uh, you got some good resources here available. And, and, and just to let people know, I've been in addiction recovery for over two decades. Uh, I was a drug addict. I was a sex addict. And when I say was, I still consider myself uh, an addict because I believe addiction is a response to pain. Um, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, it's a solution. It's not a very good solution. It's a solution that has negative consequences. But in the moment of stress, anxiety, fear, loneliness, depression, uh, drinking, drugs, gambling, sex, internet, anything that, you know, creates a level of escapism uh, works in the moment, but it has negative consequences. So uh, during recessions, during wars, during uh, stressful times in society, and, and certainly uh, this is the first time in my life living in America that I've ever been through a, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, vices increase on all levels. People, uh, they look for escapism. They're they're stressed out. They're triggered, and so you'll you'll notice uh, addictions will massively escalate during the most triggering, uh, painful times for people. So I think, uh, like you had mentioned earlier, 
there are millions of people throughout the world and people that aren't in addiction recovery in the area of 12 steps wouldn't even know this, that they go to meetings. They rely on meetings uh, as their community uh, to connect with others. And now when they can't do that, you're talking about taking away something that is a lifeline for so many people. Now, I've been on several uh, virtual uh, meetings for recovery over the last couple of weeks because they can't go in, in, into meetings in person now. And so more than ever, I think uh, we have to find ways that we can connect with people in healthy, uh, not unhealthy ways. I mean, even something that I heard Ned say years ago, which is uh, today we're more connected electronically uh, with each other, but we're more disconnected as uh, as humans. And and this is really interesting to witness this right now. And I don't want to talk too much in the beginning here. I just want to say that uh, anything that I can share from my own life experience that will be helpful, uh, I will certainly do. I'm, you can ask me questions about anything. I mean, I'm, I try to be as open as I can about this, not because, you know, there's a lot of shame attached to my, my addictions, but what I found is you're as sick as your secrets and fighting silent battles are the hardest battles to fight. So just us having a conversation about this, hopefully, will allow some people, if they feel completely out of control, to, uh, you know, look for ways that they can connect with others and because, and, and, you know, stress hurts and hope heals. And that's what I hope we can provide here to some of the people. So thanks. I love it. Uh, Joe, real quick, as we have everybody, anyone tuning in, uh, what are the resources that you would recommend if someone's watching right now and they realize I probably am doing some unhealthy things, um, I'm having some addiction issues. What sort of resources would you guide them to really quickly before we move on? Well, a genius recovery, which doesn't sell anything. I mean, I do have one book that I've written with Anna, David and Hal Elrod called The Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery. And people can get listen to the audio version of this at Audible or they can actually get this book on Amazon um, and download it. Uh, the Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery. Uh, genius recovery has videos. Uh, it has links to all kinds of podcasts, many that aren't. Uh, I don't even know the people, but we have put resources together of people that have podcasts related to addiction recovery, and then every type of 12-step group on the planet. But right now, since so much of that has shifted, if people just look for, like, if they're an alcoholic or a drug addict or a gambling addict or a porn addict, you can find, you know, uh, you can find every form of meeting virtually right now all over the world where people can tap into and you just type in, you know, virtual, uh, you know, 12 step meetings and you can find lists in every category that you could be struggling with. And I'm happy to talk more about that a little bit later if you'd like, but yeah, genius.com is where I, I put things. So Ned, you specialize mostly in adults and children and ADHD. Um, let's talk a little bit about how that shows up. We had a conversation you and I the other day about, uh, about genetics and addiction and ADHD and, and itches you have to scratch. Did, would you repeat that whole philosophy for everybody for me? Yeah, I mean, it, people who have ADD uh, feel a, a, a natural need to change reality, to improve reality, to boost reality. Ordinary life just doesn't do it for us. So I have ADD myself. So we, we have to find ways to uh, make ordinary life extraordinary. We have to find ways to increase the intensity of ordinary life. For, for the average person, they don't have to do that. We do. Ordinary life just doesn't grab us the way we need to be grabbed. And and so we set about trying to find ways, what I call scratch the itch at the core of, of, of ADD. Uh, now, there are adaptive ways of doing that and maladaptive ways of doing that. And, and probably the most maladaptive ways is, is with uh, drugs, uh, 
alcohol, uh, uh, gambling, sex, spending, shopping, all the compuls- compulsive or addictive substances and activities. The, the adaptive ways of doing it, on the other hand, are wonderful. And that's why you find uh, people with addiction also being incredibly creative. So finding a creative outlet is right at the top of my list. The reason I write so many books, I, I'm finishing up my 21st book. It's not that I'm ambitious to write books. If I don't have a book going, I get depressed. So, you know, you, you need to have uh, you need to have some kind of creative outlet. Most entrepreneurs uh, have ADD because, once again, their creative outlet is growing their business, growing their project, whatever it might happen to be. That's an adaptive way of scratching the itch. That's an adaptive way of making ordinary life extraordinary. It's something that grabs you, something you look forward to getting out of bed to do. Uh, uh, another good way of scratching the itch is, is physical exercise, really good. And a third way, and sort of my mantra, is, is the human connection. So I say to people, never worry alone. And just because we're having physical distance these days, I prefer physical distance to social distance, we should not have social distance. So you can connect, as we're doing right now, using social media, you can connect with other people. You, uh, over uh, online, telephone, uh, however you want to do it. And it's really important to do that. I call it the other vitamin C, vitamin connect. And it's as essential for our health and well-being as 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 oxygen. I mean, we, we really die without it. it social isolation is, is lethal. It's as dangerous as uh, cigarette smoking. So those three are at the top of my list of how to scratch the itch, ad- adaptive ways of making life uh, you know, vivid, meaningful, exciting, uh, which uh, those of us who are born with the genetic predisposition, both to ADD and to addiction, uh, uh, cope with. Uh, find a creative outlet, uh, physical exercise, and human connection. Those are all uh, great advice. Joe, as someone who has obviously a super creative person, uh, you've found adaptive ways to scratch your itches, we'll say for now, uh, with you know, the things that you've done. Uh, tell me what you had in your past. Talk a little bit about your past and some of the things that led you down the, the path of not uh, of making those maladaptive choices that led you into drug addiction and a lot of the other things. Dad was saying earlier about vitamin C connection. When you have a disconnection, humans want to be connected. I mean, it, when, when you're disconnected from yourself, it's very hard to connect with others. And so you will you will look for other forms of doing it. Uh, Bill W., the founder of AA, had a very, one very interesting line where he said as alcoholics are trying to drink God out of a bottle. And I often preface that by saying, you know, even if you're an atheist, just what are you trying to connect with? So you're trying to drink your way to this connection or, you know, it's like in a lot of ways, uh, any sort of addict being a, a, a process addiction, such as gambling or sex or work, you know, cause workaholism is the respectable addiction or food. And then you've got, you know, consumptive uh, drugs and alcohol. Those are all trying to find a way to just feel okay. And if you're depressed or lonely or sad or anxious, there's nothing wrong with wanting that to, to not want to be in that state. It's just how you go about scratching that itch to use that analogy. So there are some ways that you can scratch the itch that will destroy your life and there's and, and even the lives of others. And there's other ways that you can do it that are that are more healthy. So for me, where my addiction, I believe, stem was simply, uh, you know, childhood. I mean, my mother died when I was four years old. 
Uh, I had a very uh, painful childhood. I was raped and molested as a kid. Uh, I wasn't able to talk to anyone about that. I lived in this shame. I became a drug addict, started doing drugs around 16 years old. And by the time I was 18 years old, I was, you know, freebasing cocaine, snorting crystal meth, uh, smoking uh, pot almost daily, cigarettes, you know, drinking, speed, uh, taking psychedelics. I mean, you name it. And I had never dealt with that, you know, trauma earlier on. I mean, Ned, actually, one of the reasons I sought out even Ned, he had written a book called Crazy Busy years ago. And he's brilliant at, I mean, all of his books, when you're talking about resources, I mean, listen to Ned's books on audio, which you can easily download, uh, watch him, uh, you know, there's plenty of videos in that online that you can find and read his books. I mean, he's amazing. And, and what Ned will speak to, and I'll even like to ask him to speak to this, you know, there's a, uh, people, I have, I have ADD, I have ADHD. Uh, we all do. Let's just get that out of the way. Well, <laughs> you know, here, here's the thing too. A lot of people say to me, doesn't everyone have an addiction? And you know, everyone's addicted to something. And actually, I don't, I don't think so. I think so, some people have cravings, but some people have cravings that are so intense, they can't control those cravings. And there's a difference. It's a craving state. It's the element of craving where the craving is something that takes over and you can't, uh, can't control it. So it took many years for me. I never dealt like for years, I, I started talking about drugs and alcohol, but sex addiction, there's a lot of shame attached to that. And I, I had a, a guy that was 70 year old gay man who I spoke with on the phone, never met him in person, who a friend in recovery had said, you really need to talk to this guy. And uh, he had said to me, his name was Wharton. And uh, I've asked him if I could say his name out publicly. He's like, yeah. And um, he said that, you know, the definition of intimacy, he gave me this definition of intimacy, his favorite one I ever heard. He said, intimacy is a mutual exploration of a shared safe place. Abuse is anything that takes away the safe place. And addictions are what we do to make ourselves feel good when we don't have a safe place. And so when you don't feel safe in the world, you are going to look for something, right? And when you're abused, uh, self-abuse, abandonment, witnessing horrible things, I mean, there's, there's going to be some societal trauma just from this pandemic. You know, just like you can point to, you know, Nazi babies from the war and whatnot. I mean, there's some, some severe things that'll happen. So Johan Hari, who's written a couple of books, you know, one, one of his first books on, on where he talked about addiction was a, a book called Chasing the Scream, the, the First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. And he has a line that's <clears throat> become quite popular, which is the opposite of, a, of addiction is connection. And so I, I, I very much believe that to be true. So when Ned talks about connection, it, it's not just like, oh, yeah, we should all be connected. I mean, it is critically important because if you don't have connection with others or connection with some sort of source or something, you're going to look for maladaptive ways to connect. So I, I believe there's four ways to, that, that, that I've written about in, in the book you know, the Miracle Morning for Addiction Recovery and that I talk about a lot that I have found, not that I came up with, but just talking to wonderful, brilliant experts, including Ned, right? And Andy, of course, we just haven't known each other long enough, so I'm sure I can't <laughs> wait to hear you talk. Uh, you know, the first is, uh, is community because I've never seen an, a true addict, a real addict out of control. I've never seen him get sober in isolation, right? So you need some sort of connection. Secondly, it's biochemical, which both you guys, the docs will tell you, it's serotonin, it's dopamine, it's, it's happy chemicals running through your system. 
seventy uh, percent of the serotonin is made in the gut. If your if your microbiome is messed up, if you're eating super unhealthy foods, you're not going to produce you know very good health happy chemicals. So it's it's biochemical. It's 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 supplementation. The types of food you eat. The third, it's it's the trauma work. It's the underlying work. It's it's the therapy, somatic therapy, breathing, um, yoga, meditation exercise, things that can get you into a flow state. And then the fourth thing is the environment, you know, based on the rat park studies that Dr. Bruce Alexander did in the, in the 1970s, where if you put rats in cages and when they're isolated, they will do drugs. Uh, they'll drink drug water over food, over sex, over sleep. But if you put them into a healthy environment, uh, they won't drink the, you know, the drug water. And I've actually spoken with uh, Bruce Alexander on the phone. He's agreed to be in one of my addiction documentaries to talk about what he did with, you know, the rat park studies and whatnot. So those are the different areas. Uh, but for me, yeah, I've had to create, you know, lots of rituals. There's not just one thing that I've ever found that solves addiction. So when someone's like, I've got the answer, I mean, maybe in certain areas, but there, I, I think different people have different depths of, of trauma, different depths of addiction, and certainly the genetic stuff that uh, Ned can speak to well more, way more than, than I could ever hope to. Uh, yeah. So those are some of my thoughts. For awesome. Now. Awesome. Andy, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Good. I didn't just invite you on to make you quiet and sit in the corner. Uh, although it would maybe be therapy for me from some of our past, uh, <laughs> past interactions. Andy's uh, a couple years older than me, so I got the brunt of some of his uh, his frustrations as a kid. No. So, hey, um, I was asking before, what are you seeing as you're doing uh, treatment? You're, you're visiting currently at we're doing work in Montana. You're normally in, in Portland. Uh, what are you seeing? Are, are people with addiction problems having a problem getting in and out of facilities right now? Is there a lot of Zoom treatment? Are people just isolating? What's, what are you seeing in the marketplace right now with that? So it definitely is harder to get in and get treatment. Um, there, there's uh, at any kind of residential treatment facility, um, unfortunately, the wait times are always longer than we wish they were. Um, but what we're seeing now is that things are slowing down. I mean, everyone's being very careful about who's being admitted and when and who's been screened. Do you have any symptoms, et cetera? And then with this uh, sort of asymptomatic incubation period with COVID, it's even more complicated to know, you know who can go where safely. So that is more complicated. And then uh, as, as both Joe and Ned were talking about before, a lot of the other things that would be healthier alternatives to, uh, to using are more complicated. Um, getting exercise, being outside, socializing with other people, making those connections, um, especially if you live in somewhere that is heavily densely populated. Um, it, it's just difficult. It's not necessarily easy to have access to those things in the way that it once was. And then on top of that, you add the stress of a lot of people who have lost their jobs. Um, it's uh, very fortunate for people who can work from home and can use Zoom. But if you drive a forklift, you're not working from home. You're just not working. So, you know, suddenly you're looking at someone who's facing serious stressors that we're all facing with regard to uh, the pandemic and, you know, the potential safety of loved ones and the, the real stresses of not being able to make ends meet. Uh, and then even if you have the money, do you have access to the stuff that you need locally, et cetera? So it, it's a very difficult time. It is a bit of a pressure cooker for people who are especially in the depths of their addiction. Um, and don't already have well-developed ways of managing uh, what they need to get in order to stay sober. Got it. Let me ask you this. While, while we're in this, what should we be looking for, I guess, in ourselves to, to see 
well, maybe this is beyond healthy behavior, or maybe it's beyond having just one extra drink because we're I'm I'm holed up uh, in my house. Or what might we be looking for in family members? Is it lack of returning our calls? Like, what should we what should we be looking out for in ourselves? I guess as well as in other people to to try to help make sure you know we're just doing a good job being good citizens of those we love around us. I think it's a good time to just reach out to people that you care about in your life and ask them, are you okay? You know, are, are things okay? Because I mean, everyone has things going on in their life all the time, but especially now. Simple danger sign is if you can't refrain from doing something. If there's something you find you're unable not to do, you wish you could not do it, but you can't not do it. That's sort of the definition of a compulsion or an, an addiction. And, and, and then step two, you know, is don't worry alone. Talk, talk to somebody about it. And and today, I mean, what Joe said is so true. We're we're living in a, a, a slow motion train wreck. We're 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 being traumatized. And and the the solution, over and over and again, every study always shows it. The 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 key to resilience is connection. The key to survival is connection. Whether it's a concentration camp or a, an epidemic or or traumatic childhood, I share with Joe traumatic childhood, you know, and and both of us came out smiling, and it, it's because of connection. We found connection, and so today, you know, reach out, and we can, you know, you can keep physical distance, but promote social connection. We're doing it right now, and uh, thank God for the internet. Thank God for uh, you know social media. Thank God we have one another. So if you're feeling lonely, lonely is toxic. You know, lonely is bad for you, physically bad for you. Don't don't tolerate that. Reach out, connect and find someone. And then the same thing, if you feel like you're you have a compulsion or an addiction, uh, talk to someone about it. I mean, the, the, that's the secret of AA. They replace the drug of alcohol with the drug of fellowship and and fellowship is is healing is just, you know, and the beauty is it's free and it's infinite in supply. The bad part is people don't take it seriously enough. I mean, we. What we're doing right now is, you know, is is what the country needs. We need to be supporting each other, talking, commiserating, you know, the poor people who are out of work. My God, what a heartbreak. They can't pay their bills. I mean, you know, but but instead of hand wringing, when you connect, you suddenly you're problem solving. And instead of instead of, you know, uh, uh, feeling hopeless, you next thing you know, you've got hope. Next thing you know, you're solving the problem. Next thing you know, you're starting an online business from home. I'll bet you anything this period will see the emergence of a whole bunch of online businesses from people who are out of work. They figure out uh, ways to do it. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I get carried away because I, I feel so powerful about this, but the, the the force of the force of connection is what will save us, and it is the key. It's what saved Joe and me. It's the key to uh, survival against odds. I love it. So I'm hearing uh, Andy saying, "You know, look, just make out, and, uh, reach out, and make sure people are doing okay." That's a simple question you can ask. Uh, Ned, make sure you're connecting with as many people as possible. A mutual friend of Joe and mine, Vern Harnish, actually met Vern through you, Joe. Uh, Vern was saying recently, he said, "Look." He he helps business people, but I think the advice is great for everybody. He was saying, look, today is not, I think he sent it out on Monday. He said, today is not the day to to read more business books or to search more blogs or answer more emails. He said, what you need to do is 
something very simple today. You need to talk to as many people as you possibly can. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them what pivots they're making in the business. You know, what, how are they adjusting the challenges? And, and as you said, Ned, it, it starts to become, it starts to go from hand-wringing to problem-solving. I'd never heard it that way, but that's great. You know, one, one and one often equals far more than two. Uh, another thing I think is just really important uh, for everyone is if there's something uh, either you're having a, an issue with addiction, obviously there's uh, addiction hotlines and resources online, reach out. Uh, a huge problem, I held a call yesterday um, because there's, there, I have not seen statistics, but I guarantee you there's a huge spike in child pornography and child just uh, abuse happening right now. Unfortunately, a lot of live stream platforms sell tickets to this stuff and uh, through through sick individuals. And so if, you are, if you're in that situation as well, please reach out. Try to find a way to get someone to help you because while we're all isolated in our own homes, I'm in my quarantine space. Uh, I commented the other day that I've seen a lot of these people's quarantine spaces and I'm starting to know who's a serial killer. But uh, the, but seriously, the uh, you know, around all that, it's just, you know, you got to make sure even though we are quarantined and isolated, there are still people out there ready to help you, willing to help you. There are resources that there are places that if you had to go somewhere, I would guess there's a there's some sort of hospital or I don't know, hopefully there's somewhere you could go, but reach out and find out because I don't want you just to sit there and, and think there are no solutions. Uh, you have to reach out and try to find you know, somewhere to go, someone to talk to. I think most importantly, the first thing to do, like you said, Ned, is to reach out and say, you know, and if you're having a compulsion. Now, I, I think this is, uh, well, Joe, I'll let you respond first. The doctors will probably have some sort of medical answer. Imagine that. But uh you know, a compulsion, like, so sometimes I feel at 1130 at night, that ice cream, like I just can't <laughs> stop hearing it call me from the refrigerator, you know, and, and like, I think like, maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe I should. And then, and then let's say I break down and I have the ice cream. It's happened a time or two like that. How do I know? Like, uh, you know, I've, I don't think it's an addiction because I don't do it every day or I don't wake up at 10 AM going, I've got to have that got to have that ice cream. But again, Joe, we'll start with you. But so I know a lot of people who, who, who drink a lot, but they, they don't think they have a problem because they don't wake up at 7am, you know, dashing for the vodka. Um, but they still might have a problem. So uh, Joe, uh, we'll go Joe, just in the order of my, my screen here, Joe, then Andy, then Ned, how do you know, Joe, if, if you have an addiction? Well, first off, is your life working or is it not working? And and what I mean by that, and people may have different areas where some parts of your life are working and other parts of your life are not working. I know some people that are incredibly successful in their relationships, but their health is really not in great shape or people that have really great health, but, you know, they can't make other areas of their life work. And so I think uh, a, a lot of it is is just are you experiencing um, pain as a result of the decisions that you're making? and one of the things that I do to like addict, addictive behaviors. And I mean, in my own experience, a lot of my addiction stuff, I had a ton of fun when I was drinking or having crazy weird sexual stuff or, you know, partying or, you know, not having to worry about life responsibilities and just, you know, making decisions that were, you know, in the moment felt good. But it, in, in the world of sexual addiction and, and sex addiction has probably, from a judgment standpoint, so much negative connotations when you hear the term sexual addiction, although there are most, um, you know, uh, there, there's, there's studies that have come out of Europe that every kid over the age, not every kid, but most kids over the age of 13 spend an hour a day watching pornography, right? 
but no one talks about this stuff publicly. So when I talk about it publicly, I always feel kind of weird about talking about sexual stuff. There's a tremendous amount of judgment with it. In sexual addiction recovery, though, there's a term that some therapists and, and addicts will use called fantasy contamination, where you live in this world of fantasy as an addict. You're, you know, if I have that drink, if I stay up, if I eat that ice cream, uh, you know, there's this whole fantasy. We watch mu- movies. We, we, we listen to music. We live in a world of fantasy, but real life is boring in many ways. It's not a James Bond movie. It's just in what Ned was uh, saying earlier uh, when he first started talking, addicts become pleasure deaf where normal things like going for a walk or sitting and reading or doing things that quote unquote normal people, if there are such a thing as a normal person do to an addict, it's incredibly boring. You're looking for, you know, higher sort of stimulation activities, which is fine if those high stim activities are productive and don't damage and destroy your life. But with fantasy contamination, we had a Genius Network member recently give a, a talk. Uh, he's a health guy. And he said, play the tape to the end, through the end, right? And in, in fantasy contamination, you want to think, okay, if I really eat this, you know, ice cream right now, and it's midnight, how am I going to feel in the morning? And there are things that you can train your brain to a degree to connect, not with the pleasure you're seeking in the moment, but what are the consequences of doing that? And I'll tell you, to go back to what Ned says, if you're truly an addict, don't think you're good. No matter the more intellectual you are, the people that I have found that have the hardest time with addiction recovery are really smart people. The more intelligent they are, they think they can outwit this stuff as if it has to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with this. I mean, it takes over your being. And that's why you have to reach out and connect with other people, even 12 steps in a lot of ways. And I know a lot of people, when they hear 12 steps, they're anti-12 step. I, I mean, I don't love 12 steps. 12 steps, like many things, are tools. They're a tool of recovery. And the thing with 12 steps, though, it's not a, an attendance program. It's a step program. That's why it's called 12 steps. So people that go to meetings, but they don't do the steps, don't get recovery like people that will attend the meeting and actually do the steps and get a sponsor and connect with someone else. So it's like going to a gym and saying, well, you know, gyms don't work. You would never, well, if you don't lift the weights on the bench, if you don't do push-ups, push-ups don't work. You can't just say, well, exercise doesn't work. If you exercise, it actually works. If you do the tools of recovery, you will get better, maybe not instantaneously. And you may go through a journey, but you have to engage in the same way that you have to engage your body. You have to engage your communication with other people. So when Ned is uh, talking about you know, vitamin C is connection and people don't take it seriously. He's absolutely right. I mean, what we're, what I'm saying right now, people are like, oh yeah, I've kind of heard that before, but someone posted in one of the comments, I will make calls because of this. Thank you. That's a simple statement. I will make calls because of this. Thank you. But that's really important. There's, there's someone out there suffering right now, fearful, scared, struggling, and a phone call from you just saying, how are you doing? or I really care about you, or thank you for being in my life, you have no idea what that could do for another individual. So someone, like I've gone to 12-step meetings myself, sat through a meeting, and then left, triggered, and acted out, right? But I've had someone at the meeting say, because you showed up at that meeting, I was able to stay sober today. So when people say meetings don't work, they may not always work for you, but your showing up for someone else may help them with their recovery. And that's why the mutual suffering 
of being an addict and you're able to reach out with someone else and share that suffering in some bizarre way actually helps reduce the cravings. It helps you connect. It helps you get out of your own crazy making mind and feelings are not fact. You may feel depressed. You may feel hopeless. You may feel suicidal, but if you haven't killed yourself, if you haven't hurt someone, if you haven't taken that drink, you may feel terrible, but that doesn't necessarily mean your life is terrible. It just means in that moment, you don't feel well and no one's perfect. I mean, there, I like fast food. I like pizza. I like drinking. I like drugs. I like hookers. I like all that stuff. When I say like, I mean, it sounds crazy, but you'd be lying if someone says, oh, I don't like the reptile brain, carnal pleasures and being <laughs> buzzed. Of course, there's a certain element of it feels good. But what I don't like, it's dangerous. It's destructive. It destroys my self-esteem. It isolates me from other people. So I used to put this post-it note on my refrigerator that said, nothing tastes as great as being lean field. And I would use that as a trigger to remind me, yeah, that thing tastes really good, but I really like what it feels like to be healthy too. And it's, it's, it's a tug of war sometimes, but when you're not doing it alone, the tug of war isn't so damn hard because you have other people tugging with you, if that makes sense. So those are my thoughts. That's great. Andy, you want to follow up? Uh, well, to touch on something that uh, Joe was just saying there, I, I think it is really important when people reach out to others and, and you know, ask them, uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And, and in keeping with his gym analogy, look, working toward sobriety, just like going to the gym, is something that no one can do for you. And so when someone reaches out, um, and that can mean a lot to a person. Absolutely. Uh, but I think you also have to be careful when you do reach out to someone that you're worried about that, um, you know, you, you recognize that there are parts of it that you can be there for parts of it that you can support. Um, you, you know, you can be, uh, a, someone they can lean on, but there are some parts of it that are, are up to them. And that can be really difficult when it's a loved one, uh, someone that you care about and you really want the best for them. Uh, and you see how they're struggling and you see the choices they're making and how destructive they are uh, for to, for you to be able to to um, square with yourself that there are some parts of those, that journey that they're going to have to do alone um, or not necessarily alone, but that you can't do for them. It becomes enabling at some point uh, is, is from what I hear most people have experienced with a parent or something that you know really wants to take the journey for somebody. And they're not the child or the other level one isn't willing to do it. it. A lot of times it ends up becoming enabling behavior. Is, is that true? Or? I, I mean, it can. It's not always true, but it's a very difficult line to walk. And it's almost always full of gray areas about, you know, what is being caring and supporting and helping someone through a difficult time and what is shielding them from the consequences that are going to get them to a point where they say, I can't keep doing this. I've got to turn things around. And and if there were easy answers, you know, that this would be a, a, a much shorter conversation. But for every person in every situation, it's a little bit different. And so it, it just isn't clean cut. And that's a real struggle for people who are close to others struggling with addiction. Well, I, I was just thinking, you know, back to what Joe said at the beginning, that uh, addictive behaviors is sort of a, a response to pain. And, and I think uh, now we're all feeling pain and, 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 uh, um, you know, I, I have a three-step handy dandy toolkit for dealing with what I call toxic worry. And, I, you know, there's good worry, which is your problem solving. And, and we're all worried now. If we're not worried, we're not paying attention, you know? So, uh, 
So you want to be in the problem solving mode. So how do you get there? Well, three steps and much better than Prozac, believe me. Step one, never worry alone, connect, okay? Then step two, get the facts. Uh, toxic worry is rooted in wrong information or lack of information or both. So get the facts. And, uh, you know, these days facts, uh, you have to sort through the wheat from the chaff, you know. And then based on those facts, step three, make a plan. And, you know, if your plan doesn't work, well, that's what life is all about. Revise the plan. You know, nobody's plan works. We all die, you know. So, But on the way to death, we're revising plans all the time, improving plans. So never worry alone. Get the facts. Make a plan. And when you have a plan, you immediately, you, you immediately operate on the two variables that cause toxic worry, a heightened feeling of vulnerability and a diminished feeling of control. When you have a plan, you feel less vulnerable and more in control. The external reality hasn't changed, but you're having a plan changes how you feel about it. And that with that comes confidence and with confidence comes effective action. So never worry alone, get the facts, make a plan and just keep repeating that. Uh, and, and you'll, you'll be at your best and instead of cowering in the corner, feeling incredibly vulnerable and out of control, which is how a lot of people are feeling these days, incredibly vulnerable and no control. So, so do those three simple steps, connect with another person, get the facts, make a plan, and just keep doing it every day. I think we're all inventing strategies. We're all finding our way in the dark kind of thing, and we're, we're inventing strategies every day, which is good. You know, we're, we're getting creative. We're, we're discovering the inner entrepreneur, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and, and that's the good news in all of this. So next, I think we should talk about Tiger King. No, I'm just kidding. We shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, I've seen it yet. So, I mean, I guess I got to watch this damn thing. <laughs> Joe, it is. I mean, of all the shows I've seen in my life, this is like, I mean, this guy wasted five years of his life documenting this and it's mind blowing. All right. So, anyway, no, um, our mutual friend, Joe, uh, Jack Canfield, uh, in the documentary I made on him, he says, you know, we have to remember our goal is not to get from here to death with nothing bad happening. Like, I made it. Oh, wait a minute. You know, it's like not, that's not really what we're trying to do. Um, Joe, business people, I think this is a big concern right now. So obviously there's a large sector of the, of the marketplace that is, you know, employed employees. That's, that's not typically who you and I work with. We were mostly entrepreneurs. And I think um, I, I know from the moment this started hitting, I started feeling like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my business? I don't know. I don't have, you know, three months of cash to burn. Uh, and the moment I picked up the phone and started talking to other entrepreneurs, um, I found out that I have one friend who owns a business that's worth $2.1 billion. I actually talked to him like a, a week and a half ago, like the day or two before they started shutting down, even like, I don't know, New York or California. And I called him to sort of, sort of see what a guy like him was doing during this. And I said, man, we're burning cash fast. He goes, me too. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess, you know, you're just burning cash at larger scale. They have like 15,000 employees that were about to be able to do nothing and they didn't want to unemploy them. And it's like, so I think it's really important for everyone to understand, like we are all in the same boat to some extent. Now we all have differing outlying, you know, conditions or concerns. It's the same thing sort of with the disease. If you have uh, pulmonary issues, you're probably more, you know, you, you might want to watch out a little more closely, or if you're over 60 or whatever they're saying, you have pre-existing conditions that sort of exists in business too. But I found connecting with other business people, um, we've come up with creative solutions, creative ideas, and I just feel a whole lot better. Uh, you even hosted two, your first ever two days of a genius network, your meeting uh, completely remotely. Uh, what are you seeing in the entrepreneur marketplace? And what would you say to those 
who are watching this who are still feeling isolated or embarrassed because they're not sure how they're going to make that payroll or whatever else is, is coming up and mounting on them. Yeah, well, I think this would apply to almost everyone because we're at the end of the day, if we're uh, an entrepreneur and we're employing people or we uh, have a job or a career, we are certainly the CEO of our own life, right? And so part of this is, yeah, I just did my two, uh, my first uh, virtual Genius Network meeting uh, yesterday and the day before sitting right here, standing here in this this room. And we did a survey on our entrepreneurs of uh, to ask where are you at uh, green light you know you're you're okay you're not broke you're not losing everything you're you've got some stability i mean i don't know anyone that's not been negatively impacted by this like anyone i mean unless you own zoom or something you know where the stock is going up but even they're dealing with like this onslaught of crisis of all these people now using the platform i mean so even the people that are selling a lot of things, if you happen to be in the toilet paper manufacturing business, the bottom line is we are in the same boat to that degree. And, and what Ned said about uh, being solution focused is a good form of worry. I don't know anyone that's not worrying to what degree. It's just a matter of if it's toxic or not. We did a red light, yellow light, green light survey. Red light is I'm losing my business. I'm, I don't have enough money. I don't know what to do. Uh, for my clients, there's a handful of those because I've, you know, I've pretty successful clients. I target a pretty high end group, but also the vast majority of people that utilize what I put out into the world, I don't charge for it. You know, my podcast and all that stuff, I put it out for free. So I, I have people that have lost millions. Their businesses have been decimated. They're crying every night. And these are leaders, men and women that, you know, they would show up and they're the king and queen of uh, the kingdom. And all of a sudden the kingdom is gone. It's decimated, right? And so now they're having to tap into uh, a resourcefulness uh, in both of you guys. You know, Andy and Ned have been talking about finding that within yourself. And necessity's mother of invention, right, or whatever. Uh, we, we have to be, be able to be resourceful. And now more than ever, people not out of choice, but out of circumstance, are going to have to either be left with, I'm going to be resourceful or I'm going to break down and let everything unravel. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to have a certain level of meltdown and grief and mourning because there is loss. There is real loss here. It's just the vessel that you do it in and, and how you can best protect yourself so you don't sink the ship. You're just able to go through, you know, but everyone's going to go through uh, a, a level of rocky areas. So the best that I uh, can say, and I don't have all the answers. I mean, at all. I mean, I, I am confused. I am uh, apprehensive. I have fear. I don't want to have to let my team members go because I have people that work for me that have families and they have kids and their livelihood is dependent on me. And at the same time, we've communicated that if we have no idea how long this is going to go and uh, it's not, I don't have an unlimited supply of of cash where I can just pay if there's no revenue coming in. And when revenues come to a screeching halt, you've got to make decisions. You know, you have to make decisions. And I think the most important thing is bond with your team members, bond with your clients. Don't not communicate, communicate the best you can. Even if you don't know what it is to say, you say, I don't really know the answer to that. There's some, there's a, one of these these gaping void images, it's over to the left. I don't know if you can see it over here. It, it says, uh, it says, <laughs> don't react, respond. And let me say it this way. When I uh, was going through a, 
and in one of the most grief stricken times of my life in 2016, I had a, uh, an ending of a relationship that was very painful for me. And I hired a, a, a yoga instructor to do private yoga sessions with me. And she said something that I'd heard before, but I'd never taken it seriously. She said, if you do yoga three times a week, it'll change your body. If you do it every day, it'll change your life. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if I did yoga every day, right? Not like a, you know, just a 20 minute YouTube video, but if I did yoga for an hour, 90 minutes every day. And so for an entire month, I did 31 days of yoga. And then I took a day off, but I kept going. And over a 90 day period, I did like 82 or 83 sessions of yoga, either an hour to an hour and a half a day. And I'm a busy guy. I mean, I travel and all kinds of stuff, but I still made that commitment. And what it did to my body, I really understood the, the, that saying, the issues are in the tissues. And it wrung out like a level of pain and grief. And I'll tell you right now, what I do, I either do some Wim Hof breathing, I do meditation, I do push-ups, I do burpees, I do yoga. And, and it just, it, it's amazing what that, and then when I'm in a responsive state versus a reactive state, when I was an out of control addict, my whole life was reacting to everything with anger or rage or loneliness or pain or fear. And when I'm responding to life, I tend to just make better decisions. And so when you're reaching out and communicating and you're losing your mind, who can you speak to that can actually be that voice of reason or and like what Andy was saying, you, you, can't, you can't expect someone to run your life for you. What you can do, though, is you can be a companion with someone. You can sit and listen to them. And almost all addicts, and I'm sure Ned and Andy would speak to this in whatever ways, codependency, like, you know, um, Ken Richardson is a friend of mine. He, he literally started Coda Meetings, Codependence Anonymous. He took the 12-step model from Alcoholics Anonymous and applied it to codependency. and I don't know any addict that is not codependent. You know, there's that level of stuff where you just try to caretake for other people. And a lot of very sensitive, nice, sweet people struggle with addiction because they try to caretake for everybody else. And I don't quote the Bible too much. There's a verse that says you can't fix the world with broken hands. And if your hands are broken, you have to heal them in some way. You know, it's the whole more than anything, you got to put on your you know, you have to put on your oxygen mask first. Everyone's heard that a million times. People, you know, you hear it on airplanes when we used to be able to fly. Remember those days? And, you know, we, uh, you know, you hear it in, 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 you know, speakers talking about it. But really right now, if you're not getting enough oxygen in the form of connection or food or sleep or whatever, you're going to make, you're going to seek out ways to self-soothe. So more than ever, you know, with, uh, to go back to the question about entrepreneurs, I've used this analogy with my successful entrepreneurs. I said, if you owned a, a racehorse and it was a million dollar racehorse, and every time that horse ran a race and won, you'd win a million dollars. How would you treat that horse? You wouldn't shove fast food down its throat. You wouldn't sleep deprive it. You wouldn't have the horse running on a track with nails and broken glass. Uh, you would have the best food, the best sleep, the best trainers, the best rejuvenation for that horse. Because if that horse is well taken care of, it's going to win races. And I'd say you're the million dollar racehorse. So if you're not treating yourself as if you are, then you can't expect to do well. And really that analogy right now, I hope people can take that seriously in their own ways. Even if they're cooped up in a tiny little house 
or, you know, I mean, I'm, I feel so bad. I'm seeing people on the streets that are homeless that have never been homeless in their life a week ago. And there's a lot of pain out there. There's a lot of struggles. So to whatever degree you can keep yourself together, the world more than anything, not only needs each other, but they need you to be in the best state you can so that you can be as helpful for it. Because there's always someone out there that's worse off than you. And as weird as it sounds, if you're feeling suicidal, if you're feeling hopeless, reach out to someone who's in a worse state than you. And trust me, if you can share your experience, your strength, your hope, you both will start feeling better and you can get back to what Ned says about being solution focused, even when you feel there is no solution. But there always is a, a, a way to make things a little bit better. And we're going to wrap up here in a couple minutes, but I'm going to finish up here with Andy and Ned. Andy, a lot of what Joe was talking about was obviously uh, coping mechanisms. Um, one of the things that I've, I've done some sort of deep study and uh, Joe and I visit with Dan Sullivan a lot, strategic coach, amazing guy. He has a whole... Uh, a whole day you can spend on learning what your unique ability is, what you're great at, uh, and what you probably should never do again. And one thing that I realized when I stopped to think about it was how many coping mechanisms I had created in my own life to get past things that I just wasn't good at. And so um, there were things I'd never thought about until I was questioning, 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 like, well, why would you do it that way? Well, I don't know. And so I, I dug into it. Talk a little bit about maybe coping mechanisms as well as um what people should do because 12-step groups, maybe they're meeting on Zoom right now, but maybe a couple of steps, things people can get involved in right now, even while we're in quarantine. I'll keep with the gym analogy uh, for coping skills, because just like any other habit, you have to practice them to get better at them. And when people are addicts, one of the analogies that I sometimes use with patients is that, you know, if you break your leg, then it's that cast that's holding your leg up. And have you ever seen anyone have a cast removed from a broken leg? And when they come out, their leg is skinny and emaciated and, you know, it, it, uh, it's just not strong. And that's a little bit what it's like when you take those substances away from someone who's been using that as their main coping skill. You know, those coping skills are atrophied. They're not strong and ready. They haven't been exercised. And so you take that, that cast of substances off and then all of a sudden it's time to you know, it's very frustrating for someone who gets that cast off and they say, well, I can't run like I used to run. Well, no, you can't. You've got to give yourself a little bit of, of uh, patience. You've got to be compassionate to yourself to say, I do need to practice this. I do need to work on it. It is going to be difficult, but it is going to get better. It, someone who gets a, a cast off of their leg six months later, almost always, it looks exactly like the other leg, it, but it takes some time and you have to get there and you have to put in the work to get there. Um, again. Now that your choices for coping skills are a little more limited in terms of what people can do, um, I hope people can extend a little bit of compassion to themselves that, yes, it is going to take time, um, but uh, it, it will get there and they will get better. Awesome. Ned, I want you to wrap us up uh, with, with your thoughts on, on, on all of this, and then maybe you can fix our ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that, that cast uh, made me think of... Uh, the itch, you know, and then how we use coat hangers to scratch down and how great it feels when it finally comes off. And, and uh, you know, our cast will come off, you know, this thing will come to an end and we'll be able to take the cast off. But, but meanwhile, um, I just encourage folks again to connect above all else. And then in doing that, uh, allow your unconscious to come forth, allow your imagination to flower, allow yourself to start an online business or, 
you, you know, forgive someone you've been feuding with. And, you know, forgiveness is really good for the soul. Forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself. And, and uh, you know, purify your soul. Yoga, as Joe was saying, uh, detoxify your, your inner life. You know, use this time to do that. Get rid of grudges, uh, make up with people, reach out to people. And it used your creativity. I mean, we've all got it. You know, if you want to tap it, engage in play. And my definition of play is any activity in which your imagination comes alive. And and so, uh, you know, ask on open-ended questions. Then you're at play. You know, where am I? Where am I headed? Then you're instantly at play. And that's when your your unconscious will will come out. This is a time, yes, of, of, of worry, but turn that toxic worry into constructive worry problem solving, invention, creation, uh, you know, play with each other. And, you know, nobody in the world is better at play in the best sense of that word than Joe Polish. I mean, the guy is <laughs> amazing and, and, uh, and nobody's better at connecting than Joe Polish. So, you know, take a lesson from Joe, be, be, be Joe for a while and, um, uh, you know, and open and transparent and creative. And, you know, that's when the cast comes off, you know, uh, your your leg will be strong if, if you if you if you do if you do it that way you know and and uh, definitely we're in it together we need each other and together we will get through this that's for sure uh, no doubt about it I, I I thank you guys for giving me the chance to participate in this it's been a lot of fun oh, no it's been awesome it's been great to have you guys uh, thanks Joe for sparking the idea uh, hopefully you guys uh, who are watching have enjoyed the conversation. Uh, we will do more of these, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, check out Joe at Genius Recovery and Genius Network. Uh, Dr. Ned Hallowell at, oh, just Google him, Dr. Ned Hallowell. You'll find lots of stuff. Uh, Andy, anywhere special they should go to learn about you? Park Geats and Associates is where I'm doing my uh, expert witness work through. So check it out there. Sounds good. And uh, thank you guys all for tuning in. Uh, thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. You got anyone watching, if you are having an issue, have a problem, reach out to any one of us. Or if you're having a major issue, reach out to the, the appropriate helpline or help center right now. Don't wait. Uh, and then everyone else, make sure you connect. Vitamin C, Dr. Ned, make sure you connect, connect, connect with everyone around you. Just pick, you know what? Pick five or 10 people, make a list every day. Check in on five or 10 people, new people every day. You'll be shocked at how happy people are to, to hear from you right now. And you'll be shocked, by the way, at how easy it is to reach anybody. Literally everybody is on lockdown. Uh, on Tuesday of this week, I'm having an Ask an Astronaut live stream because I have two friends who are astronauts and they're not doing anything. So they're going to come on online and answer questions for kids. Like think about creatively, what can you do during this time? I'm not doing anything So I mean, I'm, I'm trying to help manage homeschool and other fun things, but uh, we're going to do ask an astronaut coming up on Tuesday at 2 PM Eastern. Uh, thank you all for joining me. Uh, and I'll see you all soon. Thanks to everyone. Take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks, thanks Nick. Take care. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.